I don't know that we're going to be able to change people's feelings of what happens in their gut when they hear the term anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, mental illness, right? But I do think people don't know what exactly mental health, mental wellness, mental fitness means. So that means we've got this opportunity with terms like mental wellness, mental fitness, mental health, where people are, does that mean mental illness? Does it not? I'm not. So the stigma of mental health is only there because people don't know yet. It's not because they've actually solidified and formed the opinion yet. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network. This is Eric Cusin. I'm the founder of an organization called We're All a Little Crazy, crazy in quotes. I don't want to offend anyone by the name. Our campaign name is the Same Here Global Mental Health Movement, which is based off an American Sign Language sign. And very much our organization is based on going through a lived experience that brought me to this spot. I know this being a sports podcast and a mental health podcast, the fascinating thing was I worked in professional sports for 15 years, never thought I'd have anything to do with mental health. And then the way that life experiences come in and throw you curveballs That's what brought me to the place that I'm at right now, where I didn't go back into professional sports after I healed with my journey that I went through and instead went down this path of working more in the mental health advocacy side of things. I shared my story publicly on, of all things, LinkedIn, right? And most people would not turn to LinkedIn as their means to share what they had been through. And the reason I did was because I wasn't a social media person. Like this all started happening to me at the end of 2014, beginning of 2015. And then my path of being a really bad place lasted through the middle of 2017. So you think about the growth of social media during that time period, I was oblivious to it because I was laying in a bed just staring at a ceiling the whole time. So when I came to and I wanted to share my story for the purposes that you hear everyone else say they want to share their story. I'm not going to be as cliche and say, if only I could help one person. I think that's a little BS when people say that. You want to help a lot of people, right? Like, So my thought process was, I don't have Instagram. I don't have Twitter. So those aren't possibilities. LinkedIn might be the place where I can make a splash and really help people because it's a professional community on there where if I can talk about it in the context of what I lost in terms of my work skills and capabilities... Granted, there's more to it than just work, right? There's also the life capabilities that I had lost, just cognitive abilities, but that that might resonate with some folks. And so the way the math worked in my head, it was like 2,000 followers that you're connected with, in my case, in the sports industry specifically on LinkedIn. Whatever algorithm is in place now, it gets fed to 200, 250 people of those 2,000. And... 20 people look at it and be really interested and 10 people will actually reply and want to have a conversation. That's a great start to help 10 people, not just I want to help one person, right? So that was my math going in. And my friends are digital marketers. So I asked their advice on what's the best way to put this up. 
the funny part about the story is, again, for two and a half years of not being a part of the world, per se, and all the changes that had gone on, they kind of laughed at me and they were like, yeah, everyone's doing things with video content now and everything's like quick hits. And I was like, well, I was like, that's not the way that I communicate. I'm long form. I like to share my stories. And I think the other piece of it was, if I did something in short form, the intricacies of how involved this topic is and how much you need to explain in order for people to relate Mm. and how much we'll get into this when we talk about social media right now and whether or not all the talk is actually good or not, right? That people are saying we're having. My thought was, I can't put like a short video out there being like, I had PTSD. It's when you have five of these 20 symptoms for two weeks or more. Like that's not going to resonate with anyone. So I wanted to put the name of your podcast, you know, raw, authentic. I wanted to put myself out there in that way. And so I wrote a piece that was about a 35-minute read. And the way I knew that is because I didn't know what Medium was, the website, and my friends quickly introduced me to it, and they put it on Medium. And what they found by putting on Medium, that was going to take 35 minutes to read. (laughs) So they came back to me, and they didn't even read it. That's the funny part about it. Like These are my friends who knew what I went through, and they're like, Dude, we love you, but like no one's sitting around yeah. 35. <laughs> so against their better judgment, I kind of met them in the middle in this way. I told them I'll put my telephone number at the top. So if people don't want to read the thing, they'll just see the, the beginning parts are about this crash that I had. And that if anyone wants to have a conversation about it, they can reach out to me, which was either, you know, I laugh now when I tell the story, it's either the smartest or the dumbest decision I ever made because you're putting your personal information out there, right? But the first three days, it gets read 150,000 times. So it just starts getting passed all over LinkedIn. And then I got over 400 calls from as far as China. And the reason I know it's 400 is because I still have the spreadsheet that I kept from that experience. And the other piece before I go into the foreign story was Darren Ravel, the sports reporter, reached out to me. Now, keep in mind, timing is hilarious. You know, this is before Kevin Love, before DeMar DeRozan and their stories in 2017. So I guess it was a big deal that a sports executive was talking about this, right? Yeah. So Darren reaches out. And in fairness to him, it wasn't like just opportunistic, like, oh, a sports reporter just wants to get a story. He was like, hey, man, I read your story and I rarely stop and read content, let alone something that's going to take me that freaking long to read. But he's like, I just want to let you know that if I was in the room with you, I'd give you a hug and say, I'm happy that you're still here with us. So. I knew that he was a good guy. He took me out to dinner afterwards and thus formed our relationship in terms of the way that we've been working together. But the reaction from the story and those 400 people that had reached out to me was I got this range of reactions where I think the important takeaway for me, and this is all going back to your question of the formation of the organization, because that needs a little bit of this background, is none of the feedback that I got in those 400 calls, it's almost going to sound like, how is this even possible? None of the feedback was about disorder. So no one was calling me saying, Eric, I saw in your story, you mentioned that the diagnosis was PTSD. I have PTSD also. Or Eric, I have bipolar. It looks different than PTSD in this way. It was nothing like that. Every call was about a life experience someone had had and then where they ended up in terms of feeling symptoms, the way to derail their life, et cetera. Either was still derailing their life or had in the past and they wanted to say that they could relate. And so the range was everything from on the far end, like a very traumatic event. I had a father call me and said he lost his child to SIDS, sudden death syndrome five years ago, right? Like the worst thing 
that probably can happen to someone in the world, the loss of a child, right? And then on the other end of the spectrum, and I say the worst thing that could happen to someone, and now I'm saying the other end of the spectrum, almost making it seem like, oh, this isn't that bad. But when you hear it for a second and then you process it, you'll understand why I'm showing the range here is that it could be as bad is that this woman called me, she's 32 years old. She'd been married for seven years. So she got married at 25. She's like, Eric, I have two beautiful kids, handsome husband, white picket fence. We have all the money we could need, financial stability. But I've woken up for the last 10 years from the time I was 22 with this pit in my stomach because I broke up with my boyfriend who I was with for all four years of college. And we had to make a decision whether or not we were going to go on and have a life together. And I made the decision he wasn't the right person for me. But that eats away at me every day, whether or not he was the right person or not, no matter how much I love my husband, because I was with him first. And I made that decision to pull away from that. And so when I say the range, most people will say, well, of course, the person who lost a child, that's way more traumatic. But the important thing for everyone listening to understand is sometimes the situational things that happen in life that even we're in control of that we make decisions on, when we obsess about them, when we perseverate about them, when we allow them to take up so much space inside of us, they can cause the same type of chronic stress and traumatic experiences, those feelings that we get from major events that happen in our lives that we never expected to happen. And so hearing these ranges of these different ways in which people were affected, my mind immediately went to, okay, I was an athlete growing up, yet I never knew to work on my brain-body connection. That message didn't get through to me. These 400 people plus that have called me and that I've had conversations with didn't get to all 400 of them because some don't call you back. But the majority of them I did get through to, and they didn't know to get help. They're calling a complete stranger and saying, what the hell is this that I'm feeling? It sounds eerily similar to the symptoms you had. Maybe not to the same level, but at least similar types of reactions in their body. And yet their life experiences weren't the same as mine. So it's like you've got this collection of all these different people who are going through many different chronically stressful and traumatic events, all different, all unique in their own way, but all ending up in a similar place in terms of how their body was reacting, how their mind-body connection was reacting. And so... Again, my thought was like, why did these 400 people not know to get help? There must be something wrong with the global messages that are out there. When I say global, I don't necessarily just mean geographically global. I mean global from like a big picture global perspective. And so I went to all these large nonprofit websites, specifically in the US, because those are the ones that I had heard of before. And not to throw any specific names under the bus, but people know the big ones and who they are. And I've been public about this. and and. This is not a knock on their programs. I think they do amazing work for the groups that they represent. I think that they have made changes in society that are, are needed and necessary. I'm talking strictly about the marketing of what mental health is. Mm. Unfortunately, I think those marketing messages actually move us further away from healing as a society as opposed to getting better and better understanding this topic. It's funny, I was having this conversation earlier today, but you'll see how this all comes together, is I don't know that we're going to be able to change people's feelings of what happens in their gut when they hear the term anxiety, depression, PTSD, OCD, mental illness, right? But I do think people don't know what exactly mental health, mental wellness, mental fitness means. 
So that means we've got this opportunity with terms like mental wellness, mental fitness, mental health, where people are, does that mean mental illness? Does it not? I'm not. So the stigma of mental health is only there because people don't know yet. It's not because they've actually solidified and formed the opinion yet. So I started to go to those nonprofit websites and take a look. And the three pillars, I'll call them, or the three tenets that were part of each of these websites that were consistent across all of them, again, I thought from a marketer's perspective, actually move us further away from understanding this topic and healing this society. So pillar tenant number one was they all started with the stat one in five people are mentally ill, which begs the question, what are we telling the other four and five people, 80% of society, which is the majority of society? That would be like, in a physical health standpoint, basically telling people, if you have heart disease, diabetes, or cancer, worry about your physical health. If you don't, it's okay. Until you get diabetes, heart disease, and cancer, then we'll work on it and we'll help you, right? right. Think about how backwards that is. And I know that's not their intention, but that's what that does, right? That does that because people equate mental health and mental illness still, unfortunately, and we have to help better educate that and so they say, well, I'm not one of those people, right? And I was guilty of that myself. Like, I didn't know what PTSD meant, really. I didn't know that my life experience had impacted me. So that was problem number one. Problem number two was it becomes a copycat game in kind of the advertising world, especially if you don't have an advertising agency, which many of these nonprofits either do or don't. But if they do, they're not like Wyden Kennedy, right? They're not coming up like, on retainer with these ridiculously clever campaigns all the time. So the idea was there's this thing called stigma out there. So every single organization was putting an action word in front of stigma. So it was like, stop the stigma, stop the stigma, erase the stigma, break the stigma. Hmm. If you and I formed an organization called the Jake and Eric organization, let's keep our names out of it for a second. We called it the Grateful Organization, like that's not sure, right? So we formed the Grateful Organization and we are representing a group of people, right? And we put a message out there from the Grateful Organization that says, stop the stigma, stop the stigma, right? Eric and Jake, as the people behind that brand, just like these large organizations have people behind their brand, Mm -hmm. are telling the rest of society to stop, stop, and erase the stigma. That might seem like it's a positive message, right? Great, let's get rid of this thing that's stigmatizing. Let's squash it completely. But there are people on the receiving end of that message. And that's what people have to understand when they come up with these campaigns is there's a personal tie to that. If you're hearing stop and stop the stigma, stigma means that there's someone who is pointing the finger, forming judgments, making decisions about another group of people. Well, if you're on the receiving end of that message and you don't know what this mental health thing is, And you know that people from these organizations are saying, stop doing this, stop doing this, erase doing this. What does that tell you? That tells you, I might be part of that group or my friend might be part of that group that is doing the stigmatizing, right? Now, does that make you say, oh, I should stop doing that then, right? Like that's not human nature. Human nature is stop doing things towards other people when you feel a common bond and a connection towards them. The example that I give is if you and I went out into your kid's schoolyard, as much as we're taller than these little humans right now, if we went out there and we were like, hey, stop bullying, right? And that was our only message to them. The kid might get scared for a little bit that day and then would come back to school when we're not there the next day and be like, 
hey, I'm going to go right back to bullying and probably right. bold it before to do it, right? So the campaigns were and are, I shouldn't say were, I mean, we're in the middle of mental health month and you see stop stigma and stop stigma all over the place. So, so still 2020, we're still doing the same thing that we've been doing for the last 20 years. And then the final piece was all the celebrities that were sharing their stories. It's kind of taken this evolution, but I think in most cases, unfortunately, the evolution of the way in which celebrity has been used also hurts mm-hmm. the message of getting people to come together. Because first, the story was shared by the paparazzi and by the tabloid media taking pictures with the paparazzi and then finding that someone was in a treatment facility. And so the story became... Britney Spears has depression, shaves her head, right? Lindsay Lohan has anxiety, dresses like a hot mess, mm. okay? And okay, so you had these organizations who are like, well, we don't have our own endorsers like on the celebrity side of things, but if we can show that Britney Spears has depression just like anyone else in the group here, that's a good thing, right? They would put Britney Spears as part of the one in five. But if the erratic behaviors of shaving your head and dressing like a quote, hot mess are the examples of what mental illness is, let alone mental health, again, you're moving people further away from understanding this topic, right? And so who's going to raise their hand and say, that's me? Now take it to like even 2017, 2018. This is no disrespect to Kevin Love, but I'm going to put it out there just so if he gets this or he hears or he knows it or you know, we run in the same circles because the NBA stuff, I go around to colleges and I remember Kevin Love as being this great player at UCLA and this great player with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And the kids who are in college now know him as kind of like a role player with the Cleveland Cavaliers, right? So when I put up the slide and I show all the different celebrities that have talked about mental health, and I say, what words come to mind with mental health when you think of Kevin Love? And they say, anxiety, panic attack, ran off the basketball court in the middle of the game. How does that help us come together, mm-hmm. right? That's not... Oh, grew up in a difficult... I'm not projecting this on Evan, but I'm just saying like the background, right? What's the story that led to that we can all relate to? What is the common life experience? And why aren't we leading with that? And the reason we're not leading with that, now I'm going to take Kevin out of it for a second. I'm just going to talk about celebrity world in general, is it's more salacious and you get your name out there more when you share the disorder label, and then something crazy that happened to you. If you want to sell more albums for your next EP release, you know, I'm probably using the wrong music terms here, but you're going to put salacious terms out there and you're going to say like, because I went through this, my next album is going to be hot, right? Hmm. And by the way, the tabloid media is still sharing the stories the way that they want. So a guy whose work I really respect, he's actually getting out there a lot the last couple of days, Hayden Hurst from Atlanta Falcons works in our alliance he he's in his prime like he's in his third year of being in the nfl he has to earn a contract every year and he's sharing his story he's sharing the background of what happened he's sharing growing up in a household where suicide was prevalent in his family lost two people that way he's talking about how difficult it was to open up and share his own stuff that's the stuff that's relatable to people now how did tmz take that story that he shared in the baltimore sun they wrote their headline that said, NFL player slices wrists in college, right? That's not helpful. So you combine all those things and you ask how we end up at the same here and then we're all a little crazy is we first had to create a brand that communicated mental health on a continuum, that it's something that we are all a part of. So they were all a little crazy while you're going to have your staunch 
you know, mental health advocates who are going to say, you can't use that term crazy in a mental health name. Look, I'm using a word that we use in everyday conversations. Like, Jake, your shirt looks crazy good. Yeah. Your hair styled crazy great today. Our world is acting a little crazy today. In none of those three examples, and am I using the term crazy to mean your shirt looks mentally ill, right? Yeah. I'm using it as a way to describe the shirt in a bolder way than what it currently is. And I think all of us can relate to having been a little crazy at different points in our life because it's our idiosyncrasies mm. of who we are as people. Like my dad washes his hands incessantly. That's probably OCD. But like because of that, like there's a quirk that I have with him where I yell at him for doing it. <laughs> that's what makes us individual and unique. And that's not anything that is downplaying it. That's trying to bring us all together. So that was the umbrella name of the organization. And then Theo, who I know you had on the last podcast, so the, the fascinating thing about the same gear story is, so I get on the phone with Theo for the first time. This is, again, middle of 2017. This is before the Harvey Weinstein story had broken. Okay, So if you think about the serendipity, this timing, it's friggin' incredible. Mm. So Theo is telling me his story for the first time. I'd never heard it from him. I'd read it. And he's like, Eric, he's like, when I shared, you know, his deep voice, like when I shared my story, you know, and I go to Canada and there's a line of people 400 people to, for me to sign their book. And I see a guy out of the corner of my eye who looks homeless, who's got a flat brim hat over his head and not trying to look at anyone. And Theo's like the rest of us, where when you're a little obsessive and thinking, you're like, who's that person? You can't get them out of your mind. And the person comes up to him in line, puts the book down, looks him in the eye and says, me too. And when I heard that, like, and still every time I tell that story, I get chills, even though the Harvey Weinstein thing now has been out there for so long, right? Because the reason why I get chills is because when he said me too, Theo, and he told me the story, I wasn't thinking in the context of sexual abuse specifically because that was Theo's story, right? To me, me too meant many other things, right? It meant that through two words, you could communicate with anyone thousands of words just in those two words. So I jumped out of my seat. I was like, Theo, do you realize how impactful that was? He's like, oh yeah. You know, like the way Theo talks, like, yeah, yeah. of course I like, that's why I've been doing what I've been doing for the last 10 years of my life because of those two words, right? So I go back and I'm like, look, I was like, we need a symbol that shows that, that like through just a symbol, we can share with everyone that like, we're all in this boat together because we all go through shit. Mm -hmm. Like my mind just takes me to the American Sign Language website. I don't have a connection to anyone in my family who's deaf. It was just symbolism. Like, okay, I think we need to show something that transcends any type of barriers that is a sign that's universal that people can see and understand what it is. And what I thought about what was so strong about this sign is that you're making a motion as you're doing it, number one, but also people can see that your thumb is at your chest and your pinky is pointed out the other person. So it's such a unique sign that like you don't have to read so much into it yeah. because you see that it's showing a connection between the two of you. So I share that sign with Theo. He's like, yeah, run with it, man. Go ahead. So this thing that we're doing with mental health was going to be me too. And then like a week later, Harvey Weinstein story breaks. And now the Me Too movement had been around, I think, since the 60s is when it was around. But it obviously didn't have the prominence that it had because of social media until the Harvey Weinstein story broke. And then so many people came out with their Me Too story. And so I went back to Theo and I was like, uh, probably want to name this something a little bit different just because the message that we're trying to say is we all go through challenges, whatever that challenge is. If Me Too is about sexual abuse, specifically man or woman, 
we should differentiate so that people understand what we're saying. So I look up the synonym for me too in the American Sign Language Dictionary and it's same here, which again, serendipity, there's a lot more alliteration you could do off an S than you can do off an M. So same here schools for K through 12, same here service for service men and women, same here sports, right? We just launched same here site for psychologists to all come together and, and have a database of people that treat integratively. And so... It's just interesting how, and that's like one tenth of the ridiculousness of the stories that have happened yeah. and the way things have out. But yeah, that was the background to creating the same year. And then, you know, the final piece I'll just say, because I could talk about this forever, but I don't want to bore your listeners more, is the idea with Theo, which then became the idea with all these other folks that I started talking to, was we have to share our stories with the sign and we need to show everyone else in the world that we are with them. What I mean by with them is just because you're celebrities doesn't mean that your story takes prominence over the everyday person Mm. and that there's actually a lot of similarities between your story and the everyday person. And why is Theo, after being raped 150 times by a male, let's call it parental figure, why is he an NHL potential Hall of Famer and some guys living out on the street who was raped 150 times? simply because Theo had incredible God-given talent Mm -hmm. on the ice, along with determination. Don't get me wrong there, right? Like, there's certainly that piece of it. But you look at the circumstances of what makes someone a borderline Hall of Famer who hopefully will get in to someone who is out on the street and it can't make ends meet, Mm -hmm. but they had the same experience. They had an older figure in their life rape them multiple times that caused that trauma. That's where you see the human condition is so connected and we all go through so much shit. And that's why Theo's story is so valuable. So the key was, let's get everyone to not just share their diagnosis label. And in many cases, some of them don't have a diagnosis label. Let's get them to share their stories. In case you haven't noticed, we love podcasts. In fact, we love building podcasts, everything from development to production. Because of all that, we're building a -a one-of-a-kind podcast network. If you have a podcast or looking to launch a new podcast, then we should talk. You can message me on Twitter at Eric underscore Kaz or hit us up any way that works for you. Let's talk about your podcast joining this one-of-a-kind podcast network.